This morning we will. This morning we'll be in Psalm, the Psalms, Psalm number forty-five. As if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to Psalm 145, verses 8 through 17, or we'll have the text on the screen for you as well. But before we get to our passage this morning, kids and adults, but kids in particular, I want you to think about one of your favorite gifts that you've ever been given, that you've ever received. Tell someone that you're with what gift you're thinking about. Now I want you to ask yourself, did you deserve that gift? You may have received it for a birthday or Christmas or some other holiday, or maybe just because someone wanted to give you a gift and show you that they loved you. While sometimes we might think that we deserve gifts for our birthday or Christmas, we might think it's, you know, some, like, some right that we have to receive a gift on our birthday or Christmas. We don't deserve them. That's why we call them gifts. We receive them because people love us and want to show us their love by giving us gifts. Now think about the gifts that God gives us. Most importantly, the gift of Jesus. But there are many other gifts that God gives us. We've read several of them this morning in different parts of the Bible. The rain, the sun, the crops, that the rain and the sun help to grow, are gifts that God gives us. He gives us things to eat. He gives us sun to keep us warm and to help things grow. He gives us minds that we can think and design and build things. He gives us talents things that we're good at. He gives us all kinds of good gifts. But he doesn't just give them to people who have received his special gift of Jesus. He gives these other gifts to everyone. Now, we call this gift that we have in Jesus our salvation, right? We call that salvation by grace. But these other gifts that we just talked about, God gives to those, God gives those too by grace. Those are not, those are gifts that we don't deserve, but God being gracious gives them to us. Not just to love and follow him, but to everyone. The grace that we receive in Jesus is called saving grace. And the grace of the gifts that all people received is called common grace. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Common grace. What does it mean that God shows His grace, both special in the saving work of Jesus, but also common, like these other gifts that all people receive? So let's read Psalm 145, 8 through 17, to help us to understand what God these gifts that God gives us. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All our works shall give thanks to you. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints bless, shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for, thank you that you are a gracious God. And Lord, that you show us that grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, offering salvation to all who would believe. But Lord, you also show us that grace in ways that we, can't, we take for granted often, in ways that often we don't see and understand. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this day. Help us to understand this grace that we call common grace that you have given to us. Lord, and how it might transform us and how we view others and interact with others, even those who don't believe in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our series, Shalom in the Home and Everywhere Else. And last week, we looked at racial shalom. We were in Galatians 3, 25 through 29, and we saw how Jesus is reconciling all things to himself as, a, as an important gospel imperative. It's He's reconciling all things to himself, and he's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. And we said that we often make either too much or too little of diversity. There can be an animosity between those who are different, but we can also fall off the path on the other side, which is diminishing the differences to the point where everyone is the same. And we don't see color or ethnic or cultural differences. Everyone is the same. And what's interesting is that both of those ways of seeing both the animosity towards others and the desire for everyone to be the same both diminish the goodness of God's diverse creation. The biblical call is for unity in diversity. In Christ, we are one and heirs of the promise. This morning, we move on to the theme of common grace. And this may be a new concept for you, or it may be something that you've heard of before. But either way, I hope that we will see how it transforms the way we think about ourselves, the church, and how we engage the world. Now, as we come to this, I want to ask some questions. Maybe you've had some of these, or maybe you've never actually thought about these before, but in the introduction to the book Wisdom and Wonder, subtitled Common Grace in Science and Art by Abraham Kuyper, Vincent Bacotti asks the following questions that help us to begin to think about this idea of common grace. He asks, how is it that the earth yields precious fruit in rich abundance and does not simply bring forth thorns and thistles? Right? You think about the fall, right? And in the fall, God curses the ground and says that there will produce thorns and thistles. But 
how come that's not all that the ground produces? How can we account for the fact that sinful man still, in some aspect, retains some knowledge of God, of natural things, and for the difference between good and evil, and shows some regard for virtue and for outward behavior? How do we, how do we understand that? Are people then in, are people inherently good? Well, Scripture tells us that people aren't inherently good; that we are all sinful. We've all fallen short of of God's glory, and yet there is goodness that people, even those who have not come to faith in Christ, can still display. They can still understand the difference between good and evil. They can still have some knowledge of of some kind of being outside of ourselves. Another question, what explanation can be given of the special gifts and talents with which the natural man is endowed and of the development of science and art by those who are entirely devoid of the new life that is in Christ Jesus. How do people, apart from God, do anything good? How do people, apart from God, do anything that shows gifts and talents that they have? Another question, how can we explain a, quote, religious longing of people, even those who haven't come in touch with Christianity? How is it that there is understanding of some, at some level that people have of this need for some being outside them, God, for a religious longing? And finally, how can the unregenerate still speak the truth and do good for others? and lead outwardly virtuous lives. How does someone who has not been transformed by the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus, how do people still speak the truth? How do people still do good to the others? How do they show good to their neighbors? And how do they actually, sometimes we can look at others who aren't believers in Christ and say, you know what, they're actually a better person than me or some other Christians that I know. How is this all possible? And these are really important questions for us as Christians to think through because they will not only help us to find what one of my professors in seminary, Jaron Bars, called building bridges of grace to share the hope of Jesus with finding, finding ways that people outside of a religious understanding, outside of understanding who God is, what are some of the things that they see and understand as important, as being good and valuable and helpful? What are the bridges of the, that we can build to the gospel in those places where people are? Not only is it important for that, to share the hope of Jesus, but these questions, these, the answers to these questions will help us understand how we as Christians can work and serve alongside those who do not share our same convictions. How do we seek good? How do we seek justice? How do we seek mercy? How do we seek goodness? And the areas that we've been talking about in this series, how do we seek shalom alongside those who don't know the one who brings shalom? 
you think about the topics we've covered in our series, there are certainly explicitly Christian ways that we are to engage these spheres in our lives, from marriage, family, friendships, neighbors, leadership, government, economy, work, education, conservation, justice, mercy, race, just to name a few. But how do we work and serve with those outside the church to bring shalom in all of those areas? How do we think about culture? Right? How do we think about the church has oftentimes kind of said, well, those things about, of culture are things that are worldly and we shouldn't engage in like science and technology, art and music, food and drink, all these other things that make up our culture. How do we understand our engagement with those things in ways that give us an understanding of how we as Christians can make culture, can engage with those in culture making that do not have the same foundational beliefs as we do. This is why it's important for us to understand common grace. All those questions that we have asked so far can be consolidated into this one that we see in our passage today. How is the Lord good to all? Right? The psalmist says in verse 9, the Lord is good to all. Right? This all obviously includes all of God's people, but it doesn't stop there. All is all. All is everyone. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. How is the Lord good to all? And if we are to be the Lord's ambassadors as Christians, if we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, if we are the ones who are to be God's ambassadors, to be God's stewards on his earth, How are we good to all? The Lord is good to all. How are we as his children then good to all? The fact that there is in the world alongside the course of the Christian life with all of its blessings, a natural course of life, which is not redemptive and yet exhibits many traces of the true, the good, and the beautiful How is that possible? This is common grace. John Calvin helped bring this doctrine to light. He said, this is a grace which is communal. It does not pardon or purify human nature and does not affect the salvation of sinners, but it curbs the destructive power of sin. It maintains in a measure the moral order of the universe thus making an orderly life possible. It distributes in varying degrees gifts and talents among men, promotes the development of science and art, and shows untold blessings upon the children of men. And so what we see in our passage today, what we see throughout Scripture, is that those who have received particular or saving grace are most equipped for common grace. So that's our main point today. Those who have received particular or saving grace in Jesus Christ are most equipped for common grace. 
See, in verses 8 and 9, we see this beginning to play out in the mind of the psalmist. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Where have you heard those words before? Exodus 34, verse 6. God's self-revelation on Mount Sinai. When Moses prays to God, God, show me your glory. How does God reveal himself? The Lord, the Lord. His special name, Yahweh, Yahweh. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the particular saving grace of God that he is revealing himself as, the particular Yahweh, the, the one who saves, the one who has a special people for himself, the one who is the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who comes in the person of Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, and the man Jesus Christ. This is the God who is slow to anger, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. And this is the particular grace, the saving grace that God in Christ displays, that removes the guilt and penalty of sin, that changes the inner life, that we are gradually cleansed from the pollution of sin by the supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. This is the salvation of the sinner by a God who saves. And the psalmist rejoices in this salvation. And yet the psalmist sees that God's grace and mercy does not stop with Israel. It does not stop with those Israelites whose hearts have been changed and who follow him. The psalmist sees that this goodness, this, this grace, translates beyond those who have just know, have found their salvation in this God. It extends to all in some form or fashion. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made, verse 9 says. And so the psalmist is showing us that there are two aspects of God's mercy that we experience. It's our God's grace. It's all God's grace. God doesn't have two kinds of graces, but we experience it in two different kinds of ways. We experience his particular grace, his saving grace in Jesus Christ, but we also consider, we also re, uh, experience common grace. Common grace that doesn't remove the guilt of sin, it does not renew human nature, but it restrains the effect of the fall. It restrains the corrupting influence of sin and in a measure mitigates its results in the lives of all people. Goodness is experienced by those who have not known the special saving grace of God in Christ Jesus. If you think of the prophet Jonah, he understands this idea of, 
of God's grace beyond just his salvation, the salvation he offers, right? When Jonah, he quotes these words back to God at Nineveh, when he is upset that God might save or might not destroy the city of Nineveh, right? He, re- he replies back to God, God, you are a God that is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you show good to all. He is saying to God, yeah, I knew that, these, that you would pull back on your, the destruction that you, have, that you had said would come because of who you are. Jonah even goes as far to say that God has pity on the cattle of Nineveh, right? His Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And so we see in our text this unfolding of this special grace that we receive in Jesus Christ, but also this idea of common grace, this understanding that God's goodness, God's grace is received in some form or fashion by all people, not just those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. So we see this idea of special and common grace begin to unfold, and it is able to be experienced because of what we see in verses 11 through 13. Right? This is experienced by all because of his kingdom. Right? This idea of kingdom is repeated three or four times throughout these verses. They shall speak the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. The kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. You see, this kingdom isn't, defined, isn't limited to the, the kingdom of Israel. His, this kingdom is not limited to the church. This kingdom is over all. His dominion is over all. This kingdom is not something that is merely spiritual, but it is over all. It brings out the theme of rule, rule, the rule of the king instead of redemption. Right? This the, the kingly rule of God in Christ Jesus, kingly rule of the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, allows for the experience of the goodness of God's kingdom by those who are even outside of His kingdom spiritually. See, there's one grace of this king, but it manifests itself in different ways as we've already mentioned. As we've discussed, the removal of guilt, the pollution and the punishment of sin and the ultimate salvation of sinners is the special work of God in Christ Jesus. It's the crowning work of the grace of God, but it's not the only way that we experience this 
kingdom, this king shows grace beyond those who have been saved by the work of the Son. It appears in the natural blessings which God showers upon all people in this present life because of the overflow of this kingdom. You see, humanity has forfeited this under the lies, under under the sentence to death, under sin. And yet God in His mercy continues to allow this grace to be experienced in the life of all people. We see it in how God restrains the devastating influence and development of sin in the world. Yes, we see so much sin in the world. But as a friend of mine has once said, without God's restraining work, without His common grace, just imagine what a sinful world we would live in. God, in His common grace, restrains sin. He allows to be maintained and to develop a rich natural life of mankind, of humankind, both individually and corporately. These natural blessings are manifestations of the grace of God to humanity in general because His kingdom is established over all. Whether they bow their knee to the king or not, the overflow of His grace and His mercy is experienced by all in this way. And because in this overflow of the kingdom, this overflow of God's power, this overflow of the mighty deeds of God, the psalmist shows us in verses 14 through 17 how this plays out as we've already touched on in the life of all. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. You call on Him in truth. You see, the chief stress here by the psalmist is on God's dependability. That God can be depended upon even by those who do not profess faith in Him. All who are following is expressive, is unusually expressive. It has this timely help at at a stage that is coupled with God's power to revive lost hope and failed abilities. Even those who aren't believers, the psalmist says, God provides hope amongst failure. He provides hope for those who are falling. 
He provides food for all creatures. It's a, a full provision. It's not bland. It's not just like, well, here's some mush. Here's some gruel. No, it's this bountiful provision that God provides, the psalmist says. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. It reflects the Creator's generous joy in His world. It's a theme developed at length in Psalm 104. And it's used by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that we read in our call to confession where Jesus reminds the people that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He gives them good things. So how do we apply this? Think of marriage and family and friendship and neighbors and leadership and government and economy and work, education and conservation and justice and mercy and race. And as we continue our series into aspects of culture like science and technology and art and music and food and drink, how do we think, how do we think about these things in light of this common grace? Well, there are many ways that we as Christians can work and serve with those who do not have the same understanding. Right? As those who have received this special grace, as those who have received the particular grace, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we are equipped to show common grace. We are equipped by the one who lays out these blessings to be able to work and serve along the side of those who do not hold the same understanding of who God is. Which means we can work for, in our culture, the sanctity of marriage. <laughs> of Between a man and a woman for a lifetime. And we can work towards that, not just among those who may have the same biblical foundation of us, but we can work alongside those who have come from different religious understandings, who might even come from different secular understandings, who might even be a part of the LGBTQ community who have that natural understanding that that is what marriage is for. As one person has often said, common grace can make for strange bedfellows, so to speak. If we understand how God in His common grace gives wisdom and understanding and discernment, how He blesses others in many different ways, then we too can work and serve alongside those who may in other ways be very different from us, but seek the same goal or outcome in other places. Right now we are in a season of strong political discourse. Maybe that's the, like the most polite way to say it. What does common grace show us in terms of how we, as those who've received particular saving grace, how does it show us that we can work 
and serve along those side, those who might think very differently from us politically? What about economics? What about our desire to see good educational opportunities for our children? How do we work and serve alongside those who may have different ideas of, of what that education might look like, but desire the same basic things for their children as well? What about issues of conservation, of justice, of mercy? Of race. Right? We live in a culture right now where there is so much conversation. We talked about last week around race. How do we as Christians work to be a bridge in this conversation? You know, right now we have a lot of questions about Black Lives Matter. How do we understand this movement? Well, in common grace, we can say, Yes, black lives matter. End of story. What are the places in which this organization might be seeking things that, that a Christian would want to seek, but not in its fullness? Say all of this is good and right. Common grace allows us, not just allows us, calls us as Christians to not see the evil or the bad in everything outside of us, but see where is the good? Where is the just? Where is the lovely? Where is the beautiful? The others that maybe in some other aspects of life think very differently than us, but in this aspect of life, they are displaying the wisdom and the glory and the love of God, even if they do not know that in Jesus Christ. as those who have received particular grace, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we are most equipped for common grace. And may God in Christ Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit, give us wisdom and discernment on how to walk in justice and mercy in love and righteousness for his name's sake. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your grace, which we receive in Jesus Christ through his work. It is given to us by and in and through the work of your Holy Spirit. And yet, Lord, we see and understand that there is other graces that we experience in this life that only you provide. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as those who have received the saving grace of Jesus Christ to be those who not only understand common grace, but Lord, seek to live it out as your ambassadors, as your stewards. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.